Well, hello everyone. Hi. Thank you for being here. I know afternoon classes are a little hard. It's nice and sunny, finally warm outside. There's that amazing Starbucks with the outdoor terrace. Um, so I'm glad you guys are here. Um, I'll share a bit about myself in a minute, but I want to know who is in the room today. So I'm going to ask for a show of hands to identify yourself. So raise your hand if you have never been in a paid, are you able to hear me okay? Yeah. Just, okay. okay. Raise your hand. Don't, don't get any softer. <laughs> <laughs> if you have never been in a paid ministry position with a church. Paid ministry. Never been in paid so about half of us okay hands down raise your hands if you have been part of an eldership team or a committee that's been involved with hiring or letting go of a minister a lot all right uh, raise your hand if you have been in a paid ministry position in a church keep your hands up if you have left a paid ministry with a church Keep your hands up if you left that position all on your own, if you chose to leave. Oh my, I'm the only one. Okay. <laughs> well, we each have our own context and backgrounds and stories that we're bringing into the room. Um, and talking about what happens on the other side of ministry employment is sensitive. Uh, when a church and minister part ways, even in the best of circumstances, it's full of emotions. So I want to treat this topic with care, um, balancing my natural tendency to just share wide openly uh, with respect for the church um, in which I served. So the class description said, um, years of theological education and training, years of professional work and life experience, but what can really prepare you for congregational ministry? And how do you gracefully transition out when your time is up? How do you go back to just being a member um, after serving as a minister? And what does ministry look like out in the public sector? I'm still learning, but let's share this journey together. So I wrote that, um, I don't know, at least six months ago, thinking I would have some pretty good answers to those questions. <laughs> Surprise, I don't. Um, but I, I have some reflections to share, and I hope to get some input and that we can have a conversation. So three and a half years ago, um, Dave, this is my husband Dave, by the way, right up here. Um, we moved our family from Thousand Oaks, California, which is just through the canyon here, um, to Portland, Oregon, the Portland area, it's Beaverton um, specifically. We left our jobs here at Pepperdine. I was associate chaplain. Sarah Barton had just come in as university chaplain, so we just overlapped for a brief period of time. Um, Dave had been a counselor in the counseling center and he had recently transitioned over to teaching um, psychology classes part-time so he could be home with our kids. We had three kids and we had another one on the way and it was like, well, something's got to give. And so um, Dave, Dave did that. And life was pretty close to perfect, um, but it was interrupted by this call. Come help us learn to be the people of God in the neighborhood where we find ourselves. That's how the associate minister position was pitched to me. And ultimately, it's what really tipped the scales of discernment for us, um, calling me away from this wonderful career at Pepperdine uh, to be a missionary in residence with this gender-inclusive Church of Christ in Oregon. But uh, there is this saying, to everything, a season. 
Last autumn, um, as I watched the leaves fall, I was reminded of how beautiful and messy, um, but necessary it is to let things go, especially dead things. I had been working in a job that was dead long before I was ready to admit it. I didn't admit it when uh, hopelessness and depression set in. <sighs> Told you, Sarah. <laughs> I brought some tissues. <laughs> They're here. I'll bring them if you need them. <laughs> Thanks. I couldn't see it when some relationships became really strained, and I couldn't hear it when my coworker would keep gently nudging me towards the door. I didn't admit it until they laid me off because um, the offering couldn't support two ministers. It couldn't from the beginning, but it, it finally couldn't. So I had seven years of graduate school, getting a master's and a doctorate. I had um, eight years experience working and teaching in higher ed, but working for a church was a whole new ball game. I knew that churches had been accused of burning ministers and that there are lots of insurance agents running around who used to be Christian ministers. But in my excitement over being offered what I thought was this once in a lifetime opportunity that I never thought I would see in my lifetime to be able to go and work for a church of Christ, you know, in my own heritage where I could preach and lead was, I just never, I didn't know if that would ever happen. Um, and so, uh, we went for it, and I naively thought I could escape that risk of getting burned. It seems to be true that when you work for a church, the ups and downs, the gains and losses have this deeper um, significance than in other industries. Like here at Pepperdine, when somebody, you know, a coworker announced that they're leaving, you're sad, but it's like, you know, have a good time, go have, you know, it's sad, but it doesn't feel personal. Um, but then when I worked for the church, every single departure felt so deeply personal. I'm not talking about people moving away. I'm talking about people just leaving your church. It felt so personal, like you've given up on us. You are, are changing your loyalties. You're, you're no longer in this with us. And each time a member of the visioning team left, I was devastated. These were the people who brought us there, who shared with us their vision for the church, who dreamed together. They were the search committee that brought us up there, and one by one, they left. They gave up, and it was heartbreaking. And when I received the news that this new leadership team that came on board, they got a handle on the budget, they realized the church was bleeding money, and my position was going to be cut, I felt that jagged bottom of the pit. Regardless of the reality of the cold hard numbers, it, they, the numbers really were <laughs> true and, and bad. Um, it just felt deeply personal, like they had given up on this new thing that we were trying to do together and pulled the plug and the rejection was more painful than I could have imagined. So what I am learning about leaving ministry and leaving church you can leave it, but it doesn't leave you. I mean, I've been attending church since I was in the womb. We both have. And I've been involved in ministry, paid or unpaid, since I was a teenager. It's just woven into the fabric of my being, and my soul grieves its absence. I haven't figured out how to just be a member of this community. <laughs> 
that I used to help shape and pastor and lead. This um, context that was once It was so pregnant with possibility, and now it's just this painful reminder of a vocational miscarriage. Before we ever accepted this job and moved, of course, the big what if on our minds was, what if this doesn't work out? After we've uprooted our family, we've walked away from great jobs and friends, community, church, we've sold our home and answered this call that we think we're hearing, what if it doesn't work out? What then? You know, they've told us that my salary will come from savings for three years, but what if nothing changes with the budget and they can't afford to keep me after that? Will we be able to stay with the church? Will we be able to stay in Oregon? A lot of things fell into place to allow us to stay in Oregon. Just when I was getting laid off, Dave got a promotion, and shortly after that I was offered a nice temporary, part-time, super flexible gig in, in local government. Um, it lets me be home with the kids in the afternoons and on breaks from school. Um, I've been building my writing and speaking career on the side. So financially, yes, we could stay in Oregon a little while longer. And I'm really grateful for the ways that I can see God taking care of us. But we haven't been able to stay at the church. We really tried. We hung on for three months with the knowledge that my job was being eliminated. And many of those Sundays I was just a wreck. <laughs> After I was no longer employed, we took a little break. We went back several times, but it just hurt too much. We kept trying because our kids wanted to be there. This was their church home. But it wasn't our church home anymore. We still loved the people there, but we no longer felt hopeful um, about the church's future. We just felt so frustrated and disappointed with leadership. And we've never been pew warmers, <laughs> so just kind of laying low, staying on the fringes, it wouldn't work for us. And we didn't know how we could be on the other side and just be involved as, as lay people. Um, so this week I've been asking several people, some of you in this room, how you do this, how you go back to just being a member, and um, if it's even possible. And it seems like the answer is, it depends. You know, it depends on the circumstances, depends on the context, the people involved, kind of what that, what that departure looks like. Um, and so it's, it just, it's different case to case. For us, um, it hasn't been workable. One thing that's been interesting um, is that many of the practices that I engaged as a paid minister were things I could still do after I left. You know, living missionally and extending hospitality, those things don't require a paid ministry gig. Go figure. There are a lot of people outside the church walls who are in need of blessing. So I don't hesitate um, when I am writing a birthday card for my coworker in government. I don't hesitate to write a blessing in there. Um, people need blessing. I still show kindness to cashiers and gas station attendants and janitors, asking them how their day is going, looking them in the eye, making sure that they feel seen and heard and known. I'm still involved with the Neighborhood Association, um, but now it's the one where my house is located and not the one that the church building is located in. A friend from the neighborhood recently asked if I do funerals because his ex-wife is on her deathbed. Of course. <laughs> 
of course I can still do that for you. I accept speaking opportunities as they come, but I also um, preach through my blog, reaching friends near and far, you know, trying to um, impart words of hope and solidarity and challenge. And we still invite people into our lives and into our home and look for ways to bless others. But we're not the poster children for missional hospitality. We're not perfect. Let me give you a recent example of how we are still learning. So I was at um, an evening event, an evening neighborhood event as a staff person. Um, and after the meeting, I got to talking with this 70-something Jewish woman. She is relatively new to the area. And she was a talker. Um, and I, uh, my listening game, it, it's strong. And so I um, just stood there listening to her. And as she talked, she opened up about how lonely she was and how hard it had been to make <coughs> friends. And she'd never been married. And so this, was a, this wasn't particularly new, although she was new to our community. But... Um, you know, she went to the senior center, center or like neighbors, um, synagogues that she visited. She just had a really hard time fitting in because she's single and she's older and she just felt like everything is geared towards young families. And so she shares all this stuff about how lonely she is. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, you have so much cool history to teach us. Like, I mean, I've just always been fascinated with with a Jewish faith, but um, in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, could she come to our Friday night gatherings, this thing that we used to do with our um, neighbors and friends, and, you know, could we learn from her? Could we, could we be friends? Um, and then a few weeks later, um, I uh, ran into her again at another, at another event, and kind of the same story. We stay after late, um, after the event, talking for a long time, and we had already exchanged numbers the first time. So I came home again telling Dave, uh, maybe we should invite her over. And, you know, he had, he had thought we should the first time, but I said, maybe we should invite her over for dinner, you know. But then I was like, I don't know. I mean, she's, she's talking about how lonely she is, and she's a little weird. And if she comes over and then we don't exactly hit it off, like, then, uh, I don't want to, like, it's just awkward, you know. And Dave, Dave's response, um, he says, of course, we should invite her over and maybe she's a little weird but you know let's do the thing that we said we were going to do when we moved here let's bring people in even if they're a little weird let's practice the sort of radical openness and welcome and hospitality that brings people together who might not normally get together in life kind of sounds like church um and here i thought i was the minister and theologian <laughs> obviously still learning so I don't draw a paycheck from a church anymore, but I know who God has created me to be. And I'm trying to live into that calling wherever my feet are planted. The affirmation of a church ordaining and blessing and paying me as a minister was a beautiful gift. Um, but also, I was a minister long before anybody paid me to be, and I will continue to be. Still, beyond how I live and move and work in the world, there's this thing about Christian community that I haven't figured out yet. <coughs> and although attending Sunday services doesn't totally fulfill that need, we still wanted to continue sharing communion weekly. We want to keep singing the hymns that are, have really been etched into our hearts for decades. You know, we wanted to be doing these things as a church family and having our kids shaped in these ways as well. So with um, a bit of uncertainty, we visited around 
I have certain priorities. Like, it's really important to me to worship in a place <coughs> that is inclusive of all, all voices, all abilities, that nobody comes, that nobody is there um, with the message that there is some aspect of their identity that disqualifies them from serving or from ministering or from, from being fully part of this thing. Okay, so that's really important to me. And um, Dave, it's really important to Dave that, um, that there's a strong kids program for our kids, that, there are, that it's well thought out, um, that there are places for them to plug in, that they're not an afterthought. Um, and both of these things are important to both of us. Um, but we want to stay in Churches of Christ. We, um, it's our family. You know, we don't want to leave it. No, no hate to other, other um, streams of Christian faith. We just, this is our family. And proximity is important. We really want church to be something that is where we live and that is, is you know, a, an all-in endeavor, not something that we just drive to and do and then go back to where we live. So apparently that order is just too tall um, where we are in the Northwest. At least that's what we found. We can find places that meet some, but not all of those priorities. And we're not trying to be picky. It's just really complicated after you've worked for a church and, and moved there for a church. And that was kind of the one, the one that we knew we could be at. Um, so just like I am piecing my career together right now, letting one job pay the bills and the other one feed my soul, um, we are kind of piecing together our church life. One of the ways that we're doing that is um, just doing life together with our neighbors. We have some neighbors who live down the street um, who have become really close friends. And so together we celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and we share our struggles, we carry each other's burdens, we check in with each other, cooking, eating together, our kids run from house to house. We're last minute friends, you know, like, hey, can you pick up my kid and hang on to him after school for a little bit? Or, um, hey, let's go for a walk around the neighborhood because it's not raining tonight. Um, or, hey, dinner's ready, do you guys wanna come inside and eat with us? We're like those kind of friends, like family. And it's good, um, and it's different, and it's deeper than the relationships that we could build just by being with people on Sunday morning for an hour. Um, and we have different denominational backgrounds, but we share this common faith in Jesus. And so we pray before meals, and our faith undergirds our conversations, but we're not singing together. We're not opening the Bible and talking about how it applies to our lives. We're not wrestling in those ways that you do, like in a traditional faith community. Um, we had this weekly Friday night small group for a while with, um, with these friends and a couple others from the neighborhood and then some from the church where I was working. And we just kind of went on hold around the holidays and um, are about ready to get back to it, I think. But anyway, we're not doing church in a traditional way and I still haven't figured out how I feel about it. I suppose I should ask Dave to chime in if he wants to. <laughs> I'm, I'm really am grateful to have this, this Christian community right where we live, um, as small as it is. Sometimes I tell myself it's enough, or it's just for a season. Um, other times I wonder, like, are we moving into some kind of post-institutional church era? Or maybe we're going to have a house church someday, or maybe we'll move somewhere, or something will shift to where we will be back in a, in a regular old church. Um, but the question on my mind is how you how you do church when you're not in church. Um, so this is where we get into some conversation. And thank you for holding on this long. 
Um, so I've shared some personal examples of kind of being a minister at large, engaging in ministry in the public sector, and I've shared this longing to still have this Christian community when, where you're praying and singing and, and getting into the word together. So when you've been burned by a church and or you're pretty disenchanted with how, what we've done to Christianity in America, uh, then what? I think an obvious answer is a house church or planting a new church. Um, but are there other creative ways to be the body of Christ in the world? That's a legit question that I want to pose to you guys. But I also just want to open it up for comments or reflections or talking with each other because I just talked for a while. I'll chime in. Please. Um, I'm from Texas originally, and my husband was between jobs and was able to get hired with the, the his dream job, and it meant moving to California. So we had to uproot. I mean, we knew where all the neighbors buried their dogs. I mean, we had that thing, and we'd been with the same church. I was a children's minister, and I knew the time had come years before that it was time my time was over, and they hired a lovely young lady, and it was fine. But I understand the. I was, kind of, I was really burned out. I felt like I was offering my children as a sacrifice on the altar of church work. But, because I had four kids. But anyway, it was a blessing while I was doing it. And I was able, we were able to transition back and just being regular members. I mean, because that's where we were. But with this new job, we went to a smaller town that's up in the valley, a little bit below Modesto. And we looked at, there was a Church of Christ in Turlock. And we, looked at it and they weren't interested in us. They had their their own is anybody from there? <laughs> anyway, so we had we had we came with them and said we're here. Bryce has been an elder. We've been involved in teaching. We've done small groups. You know, we're ready to be put to work. Mm -hmm. They didn't want us. They didn't want us. They didn't contact us. Mm -hmm. They didn't ask, you know, the preacher come mm -hmm. right by us and Hi, how are you? But no one really made an effort to. We and we went back and tried again, and they just they did. They had this nice little wall around their little group, and so I thought, well, okay. So we found uh, it's called Monte Vista Chapel, and its background is from the Covenant Church. They do communion, they do baptism, Bible classes, they have it all. They have instrumental worship, which I love. But we found everything that we wanted, and. And the main thing we wanted was to develop relationships with people that had the love of the lost. And, and they do a lot of outreach and practical things for the community. And so we're, we're loving it. Now, my roots are Church of Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got great-grandparents that were back in Tennessee. So I understand that heritage mm -hmm. deeply. And I'm not turning my back on it at all. But mm -hmm. for where we are right now, it's blessing us more than we could ever imagine. And coming back to this lectureship has been, oh, I miss, I miss the, the huge congregational singing and I really miss that, knowing the four-part harmony you could just sit around a table and do. So, but I love the way the Lord is working through the valley and through different groups of people. So maybe I want to tell you that it's not so much the name over the door as to maybe what that body of people is doing for the community or what how they're reaching out to the lost and those mm -hmm. that are unchurched so yeah. maybe that might be an encouragement to you but that's you. kind of been our experience 
in California. Uh -huh. So anyway, thank you for letting me share. Thank you for sharing. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I may come to you from a very different angle here. First of all, you know, don't don't have any reservation to share your story. I think it's it's good you share. Um, there's a there's a Chinese story. An old man on a horse, um, and his son was riding on the horse. But the accident happened, the son fell off the horse. Um, the next day, I mean, people, people come and say, you know, sorry about your, your son's accident. Um, but the next day, the military came by, they wanted to recruit um, young, young men for the military. But the son fell out of the horse and broke his leg, and so he's not eligible. So that's a blessing in disguise. The second thing happened immediately after that, the horse ran away. And so people say, I'm sorry about your horse, because you know, your horse could have sold for a lot of money, but it, it ran away. And you know, some day later, the horse came back, brought a herd of horses with the horse. <laughs> That's another blessing in disguise. So, so look at it as, <clears throat> as, okay, so where is that lesson there? What is that blessing in disguise that I quite haven't seen yet? Mm -hmm. um, I've heard story um, from a good friend of mine from church. She's, you know, she she tell me she repeatedly. Very often, people that hurt you the most are the same people that go to the same church with you for the longest time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good. So. Jen, I was uh, thinking about my brother-in-law who lives in a place, I won't tell you where he lives, because he was disfellowshipped from his Church of Christ for uh, attending a prayer gathering with <coughs> denominational people. So uh, so he uh, he was devastated, of course. And uh, anyway, he, he went on this long journey. His, his Basically, he was undergoing a spiritual awakening. And so... He was he was just seeking to, to feed his spirit and anyway long story short he he ended up he, he went to the Baptist for a while and he went to the somewhere else he's at the Church of God now but he is uh, uh, so he so he goes to a goes to a church but he in the meantime he got involved with this thing called bread shed which is uh, feeding the homeless in his community and uh, so but I, but I uh, to me his his spirit is more alive than ever. And, uh, and he and his wife are able to partner. Uh, and church is important, but, but church hasn't become the central hub of his spiritual development. Mm -hmm. it's, it's become uh, you know, something that's important to him, but it's more uh, his work in the community. It's a rural community, so mm -hmm. you know, everybody knows him. And, uh, and he's been able to, to, to have a significant ministry and impact. But it, mm -hmm. but it was at tremendous uh, struggle and uh, heartache that mm -hmm. You know, before he before he got there to this place. So. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Um, I encourage you to keep searching for that church because there's there's one out there that could use you. You know, being in your same area, and and, and I'm in a 
you know, a well-established church, but we only have 120 members. Mm -hmm. You know, the churches up in that corner of the country are not anything like they are down here mm -hmm. or in the Bible Belt. Um, so, you know, if you could seek out and find a place where you, you like the people, that's a good start. Mm -hmm. There are a tremendous number of churches that could use your talents, um, whether it's a paid position or not. Um, I, I understand the, the financial end of it as well. <laughs> you know, we struggle sometimes with that too. But, you know, seeking out a place where you can have an impact, because you can have an impact, even if it's not in a paid position. You know, you're, you're, you're in a great and unusual place where there's a whole raft of people called millennials that you can reach out to a lot better than I can. <clears throat> and you can be a source of outreach to that group of people, and that's the future. Uh, and you know, I wish we had people your age, you know, that's one thing that my church struggles from, is we don't have a strong group in your, your guys' age group. But that's the blessing that you can bring to a church. You know, it's not so much what the church can do for you, it's what you can really do for the church. And you can be a huge blessing to some church, uh, even if it's not in that quote-unquote paid ministerial position. Um, you know, you still have that ability to do that. So, you know, I would, I would continue to seek out the place that needs you and look for that place. Thank you. I think that um, part of what you said, and I just acknowledge, is that it sucks that you, <laughs> you've done this much education. You've gone as high as one can go in the study of ministry. You've prepared yourself as much as anyone can prepare uh, themselves. And we know that churches, I know that churches are contacting me and asking me if I know a man who would be willing to be an associate minister at this church in Houston or that church in Nashville or that church in Atlanta weekly where they feel like there's a shortage of ministers. Mm -hmm. And yet we have many women who have prepared themselves, who have done what you've done, and there are very few churches who are willing to hire us. Mm -hmm. And that part sucks, that if you were a man in the position that you're in, there would be churches that you in your family could move somewhere and you would feel more stability. And you wouldn't be taking a risk with a church that this down on, where it, it only has three years of, of um, funds. And I don't know, you can hear it in my voice. It's not fair, it's frustrating, it's not only Churches of Christ, it's a lot of denominations. And um, my hope is that we're coming out of a time into what you described and we see that hope but I do think there are, it's just hard. What you've said is a hard, what you've shared is the hard challenge of what has happened to a lot of women who are willing to take that risk mm -hmm. and go try. And then you have all this education and abilities and gifts and, you know, it's, it's difficult to know what to do next. Mm -hmm. And so I feel it with you and have hope with you, um, but I also just say, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Can I, can I add one more thing? What 
kind of bounce off what she said. This morning's keynote speaker said something that striking to me. She, he has a daughter, and he said that um, he was afraid that one day that his daughter going to grow up to to use all her God-given gifts and talents outside of the church. Mm. I mean, the the thinking, the thought of it is that you know I have a son and a daughter. My son is being trained, being groomed in a very spiritual way. My wife and I are worried that my daughter's not getting the same training, if you will. In your church? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm an elder of the church. You know, the, the Friday night gathering that you have at your house, you call it house church. <laughs> there are thousands and thousands of house church in the country of China. Mm -hmm. And um, paid or unpaid, I've never gotten paid in any church position. Um, but a good friend of mine reminded me that because I'm unpaid, it gives me greater credibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And more freedom to say things that need to be said. Mm -hmm. I've been wrestling with a lot of thoughts this whole week about, about leaving church. Um, I think I got a Bible degree from ACU and um, got out of school and, and things just weren't living up to the like passionate like dreams that I had kind of thought up while I was there and um, church kind of became just way more painful than it was um, holy to me like it, it was it was um, just not good for me really and I think what I worked through with like with a counselor is is that like I had to grieve um, like four years worth of, of planning and dreaming of, about what it might look like on the other side of um, completing my education in, mm -hmm. in ministry and, and um, when you grieve like you have to adjust to a new normal and mm -hmm. um, for me I, th I think that that is meant for me that that church is going to look different because because of like all of the hurt that I kind of carry with my idea of how church has been my whole life. And so mm -hmm. so maybe transitioning into something more like house church or, um, I don't know, that maybe that's like a sign of, of grieving well is mm -hmm. like seeing something new work in the same way and, mm -hmm. and like finding new ways to kind of fulfill those those needs um, and those, I don't know, the, the draw you feel to, to be a part of the kingdom of God in ways that hasn't been in the past. So I'm still <laughs> processing and, and working through the same things, but, but that's kind of where I'm landing. It, it's like yeah. being okay with new 
Before my church was born, um, my brother-in-law left the Church of Christ to become an Episcopal priest. I was like, I'm going to become Episcopalian. This is it. That's what I'm going to do. And about that time, Sarah called with a job opportunity, um, an interview in a Church of Christ. And I was like, okay, God, I guess I'm staying in the Church of Christ. And that didn't work. I'm like, okay, I'm going to become a Methodist because my M is at Asbury, and that's a Methodist school. I'm going to be a Methodist. Mm-hmm. And then my church was born. It was like more calls back into the church of Christ. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like, but I want to leave this spouse. This spouse doesn't appreciate me. Like, I, <laughs> I want to file for divorce and just be over the pain and lament it and get over it and be done with it. But I was kept called back. Like, you feel like this is your family. Yeah. The church of Christ is your home. Mm-hmm. But to be fully you in it, you know, oh, it's hard. And I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> and when my little church plant, you know, there's going to come a time where it's done and there isn't anything else. It's just not there for us. It's not there. It's going to be different. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be that house church or it's we're going to be Episcopal priests and learn how to wear vestments and it's going to be weird. Or, <laughs> like, like, I don't know what we're going to do, but there is that in between that you're in. Uh-huh that sometimes when I think of you, I, I fear it and I dread it, but it's so old. I don't think you know how much I think about you because <laughs> we're both like the same age, same education, same kids. It's like, she's my next season and she's handling it so awesome. <laughs> and I'm gonna get through it and she's gonna find her spot and I'm gonna find my spot and it's gonna be okay. So, I love you and that's it. We spoke to two realities. We're in different places on one, but, um, you know, one reality that's come up more than once now is that gender is a barrier, which we all know, but um, that's one of the tricky things about this, uh, this new territory of, relatively new territory of being a woman in ministry in Churches of Christ, is that, um, I mean, I don't know any women in ministry in Churches of Christ who are, who are the breadwinner for their family. Like all of them, the the husband works too. And so um, it's not, you know, my male colleagues who are preachers in Churches of Christ, for the most part, like they're the breadwinner. And so if something happens with their job, they are free to then say, okay, where's my next one? And it's not hard for them to find another one. Um, and, you know, they may not be like theologically 100% in agreement with the church, but uh, 
for the most part, it's not related to their identity. <laughs> and so uh, they just don't struggle with the same things um, that we do as women in ministry. Um, and so that's a, that's a, a challenge. Um, that's just a hard thing uh, to figure out how to navigate two careers <clears throat> with one being the field is just so limited. Uh, and then the other being, you know, the do I stay in churches of Christ or not? And for as long as I have been pursuing this, you know, I've had people saying, oh, why don't you just go be Episcopalian? You know, oh, you know, you could be Presbyterian, you could be disciples, you know, all these other churches that have already embraced women, why don't you go over there? Uh, there's some appeal, but also I'm like, if Sarah leaves, if I leave, if Diesta had left, like if Amy Henniger leaves, like, then what what is left for the women who are coming behind us? I, so I feel, uh, I don't know if responsibility is the right word or duty, but um, I feel strongly about staying and helping to pave a way uh, for women behind me, but also like, this is my family, this is my heritage, and why should I have to leave? Right. <laughs> um, you know. And there's a bit of that, um, I'm trying to see it, as a blessed struggle with the decisions that we've made. It's not only about my job, but um, we were excited about going to a particular place, um, not just for a job, but that's what got us there. Uh, preceding that opportunity were years of conversation about um, physical place, about career space, about striving and wanting, and kind of looking forward to a move to that area as a, a kind of wholly unknown. So then being in that area, it seems kind of weird to then just make the decision to leave because the job didn't work out. And I know people do it all the time, and I, I have no judgment about that at all. But for one, that, that opportunity obviously is really limited for Jen. But for another, if you, if you make a decision to stay, or kind of are put in that place, it really changes and reframes uh, what our struggle is. You know, we can't just go to a new city, go to a new church, and hope this one works out better. Mm -hmm. uh, and part of that struggle is wherever we land, whether it's, um, you know, living room Church of Christ, or a church plant, which I don't see happening, just putting that in there, I don't think <laughs> um, Or whatever else it might be, we know there's gonna be some work involved and so part of, part of this, too, is um, how do we get ready for that work? Because if we, if we go back to the, the church that, um, where the pain still lives, um, there's some work there. If we go to a church where uh, they've got a great children's ministry, um, but the, it's with theology that I was happy to put behind me 30 years ago, um, there's pain there. Um, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, or there's struggle there, so it's it's in a season of, of struggle, which I think can be good for us. And I really appreciate your point of uh, we're not at that point in our story of knowing where the blessing is. Um, we see some opportunities, but there are more unseen. We were hoping that after a year we would have an answer, and in fact, we thought like this will be buttoned up within a few months. You know, Jen had all these connections, there will be job offers pouring in for secular work, uh, and yet, struggle. 
and so I'm sort of approaching it from two places. Um, first is I'm, I go with her, um, and uh, so uh, I increasingly learn um, how harmful church can be to women, um, especially uh, women that are gifted and feel called. Feel called. <laughs> And so that's one of uh, my roles. And then my other is that I'm a student minister and I work with teenagers. And um, I'm, I'm just really tired of um, seeing teenage girls um, with gifts um, be able to use them and to stretch and grow and to, to lead. Um, and then get to a point um, where that door is, is slammed. Um, is slammed shut and um, often for a, for a lot of my girls I mean they're headed one direction and, and then once it becomes obvious that there's a ceiling mm -hmm. then they pivot and they, they start pursuing something else and um, that sucks that really sucks <laughs> and um, I think I mean knowing knowing her story I mean, she didn't have a lot of like women that had tried, and I think it's so vital that women that have tried and that have um, been hurt and are angry and have scars, how how important it is that my teenage girls hear those stories from women. Um, and I get really excited thinking about teenage girls that have grown up hearing those stories, and then. Um, Hopefully they can be the wave. I mean, they can be what mm -hmm. what starts to shift. What starts yeah. to shift this. So I appreciate you telling your story. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. We're about out of time. Is there anyone who didn't get to say something who wanted to say something? All right. Well, thank you all for being here. Uh, let me close us in a prayer. <clears throat> God, thank you for um, each person who is here in the room today um, for their journeys, for their um, peaks and their valleys, for uh, who they are uh, made in your image. Uh, but created uniquely as they are. Um, God, I thank you for the gifts that you have given them, um, for the contexts where they are. And I thank you for um, their willingness to be part of um, a difficult, sensitive conversation today. Um, God, we pray for the future of your church, um, not just Churches of Christ, but um, your church worldwide um, throughout time. God, we pray for your church to be beautiful, to be a reflection of your goodness, to be um, a light, to be a place of healing. We know uh, that the church has the capacity for um, tremendous hurt, but also amazing healing. And God, we ask that you would use us to be instruments of that healing, that you would um, help to uh, help us to work through and process our hurts um, 
so that we can be instruments of healing for others um, and for your world. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Amen.